Very good. Yes, welcome again, everyone, this afternoon. Thank you for coming out. Thank you for um, for making this a priority to gather with the saints, to worship together, to hear his word. This is excellent. We've just started our series in in the gospel according to Mark, and uh, our aim as we do this is to is to know Jesus. Uh, to see our lives transformed into uh, his likeness as we grow in our knowledge of him, as we grow in our relationship with him. So in just a few minutes, uh, we're going to read from um, Mark chapter 1, verses 35 through 39, so you can make your way there. Um, but before we do that, um, before we do that, I want to tell you what happened at work this week. Uh, the Lord has uh, graciously given me an excellent uh, full-time job at a local company, and uh, one of the things I do in that position is I, I manage uh, our payment systems, the systems by which our customers uh, pay us. That's a big deal with the company, uh, so it's a good job for me. Um, sometimes those systems don't work uh, like we prefer. Um, sometimes there's a bug in the software. The software designers don't intend for that to happen. Uh, it's as rare as possible, but it happens. Uh, or a user makes an error of some sort, uh, and those errors can cascade to this negative effect that is just, it's bad for our customers. It turns your day bad as well um, as you're having to try to fix these things. So late in the day on Wednesday, one of those situations arose. Um, we had accidentally sent uh, 100 payments, charges, to customers' bank accounts. You know, those automatic payments that you get from the phone company and different people you've signed up with? Um, a really convenient system, but bad when it goes wrong, especially when these people are no longer your customers. <laughs> it's not a good thing to charge people who aren't doing business with you um, as if they were. Um, it was actually worse than that. Uh, they had been charged for three months' worth of rent that they hadn't been with us at. And um, so it was an even bigger amount than they would have normally gotten charged even if they had been doing business with us. Um, so my mission on Thursday was to uh, see that all of those payments were refunded and that all of those customers were communicated with, apologized to, by the end of the day. Um, these software systems and, and the business that we do being complicated enough, that involved lots of people from lots of different groups. And so uh, I had to coordinate the effort of all of these folks to get this done in a single day, uh, which was no, no small uh, affair. Um, wonderfully, we were successful at it. Uh, by the time I went home on Thursday, uh, so that I could have the day off on Friday to help prepare this message, um, we had sent off the refunds, we had communicated with the customers, we had talked to several of them ourselves on the phone as they called a little bit upset with us, um, and we were successful. Now, we were successful, this team of people that worked with me on it, uh, we were successful at this mission because we understood what needed to be done. We understood the mission. We embraced this mission as, as vital. It was very important for us to do this for these people and for our company and for our reputation. And we were undistracted in our effort to complete this mission. Now, we all have missions. 
responsibilities, um, mandates that we have to fulfill. Um, many of them are, are things we can do, do in a matter of an hour or two. Others will take days or weeks or even a lifetime. Today, we're going to consider one of those lifelong, one of those greatly life-impacting missions as we read together in Mark uh, 1, 35 through 39, and then have a little talk about this passage. So the word says, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he, that is Jesus, departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and they said, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Um, pray with me. Father, we ask in the name of Christ that your inspired word, written here by Mark about our Savior, that your inspired word would speak into our hearts, Father God, that you would move in us, Father that this word would accomplish your purposes in us, not just today, Father, but for the entirety of our walk with you. Would you please increase our understanding? Would you please increase our love for and our embrace of the mission of Jesus Christ? And would you please set us upon that work, that mission, without distraction? that we would be at work with Christ as he is saving sinners. Would you do this for us in the name of Jesus? Amen. Okay, so setting the context a little bit and, and helping us to see what's really gone on here on what appears to be, um, it's, it's the day after an astonishingly successful day of ministry by Jesus uh, in Capernaum. Um, he's the prior day on the, on the Sabbath, he was preaching, he was healing, he was casting out demons, and eventually he drew, uh, by that activity, the entire city to Simon Peter's door that night. And the next, so they do this evening of ministry. Who knows how late it goes on? Uh, and the next morning, he gets up before dawn uh, to pray to his father. And while he's alone praying, uh, the city, the city's people seem to have returned to Simon's house for, for more ministry time with Jesus. So Simon and the guys that are with him, they, they go searching for Jesus because he's nowhere to be found. The crowd is there, but the star of the show is gone. And when they find him, they get a surprise of their lifetime. And, and the first of what are many lessons about the mission that Christ is on. So here's what I'm hoping to address as we move through this sermon. Uh, we will succeed in gospel ministry only when we understand, embrace, and steadfastly keep to Jesus' mission. Okay, some of you are taking notes. I'll go back through that slowly. Um, 
we will succeed in gospel ministry only when we understand, embrace, and steadfastly keep to Jesus' mission. So the question for us becomes, um, are we engaging in the mission of Christ? Are we distracted by other missions that we think God has put us upon? Or are we misunderstanding the mission? Are we prioritizing good goals, even godly goals, above the preeminent mission of our Savior? Here are the points that we're going to cover. Um, first one is the mission of Christ. The second is mission distortions. And the last one is uh, staying on, staying on the mission. So the first point, the mission of Christ. Uh, Jesus has gotten the attention of the entire city of Capernaum. A whole city's worth of people are paying attention to what he's doing. Uh, the crowd that was at the door yesterday have all returned for, for more of the same. Others have joined them. They, they want to hear this new teaching of Jesus that is conveyed with a power and authority unlike anything they've ever experienced in the past. And they've brought more sick people and more demon-oppressed people to Jesus so that he would heal them. They want an encore performance of their new religious star. The disciples greet that crowd only to discover Jesus isn't anywhere to be found. The star has disappeared. So they mount a desperate search for Jesus. The, the Greek word that's translated search in our ESV uh, Bible uh, actually has a, a negative, a hostile connotation, and Mark uses it that way elsewhere. According to the commentators, a good equivalent would be they hunted him down. They tracked him down as if he were prey that they were after. And at finding him alone in a very isolated place, Simon's, Simon Peter's words are very telling. He says, everyone is looking for you. Everyone. They're out there waiting for you, and you're not there. It's as if he's saying, what on earth are you doing out here all by yourself when the crowd is assembled and they are waiting for you to do the stuff, to get busy doing the miracles and everything you were at work yesterday? So you can only imagine how surprised the disciples are, how shocked they are to hear Jesus' reply to, everyone is waiting for you. He says, Let's go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. Not the response they were expecting. Jesus has a clear goal, and he's not going to be deterred from that goal. What we need to ask ourselves is, why is Jesus so laser focused on keeping to this mission in just this way. And the, the why is because Jesus' mission is of eternal significance to every person in this world. His ultimate purpose is to eternally reconcile sinners to their holy God, to reverse the condemnation of our fall into sin, to create 
a people to live forever, forever in the overflowing, everlasting, abundant joy that comes from being made righteous by God and for God. Christ's mission, it's clear in the Gospel of Mark. He does this for us. Mark has already shown us in this first chapter in verse 15, the mission of Christ. When Christ says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. He has a message that he is bringing. And then Mark recounts three occasions in which Jesus reveals to the disciples that the mission will be accomplished only by his death and by his resurrection. And after he tells them this the third time in Mark's gospel, Jesus makes it clear what is being accomplished by his death and resurrection. When he says in Mark 10, verse 45, for even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus' death grants forgiveness of sin and eternal reconciliation with God to everyone whose faith is in that work of Christ Jesus dying for us and being resurrected on our behalf. This was Jesus' mission when he walked the earth, and this continues to be Jesus' mission as he reigns on high. Friends, we should, we should rejoice. I mean, we should look at this and just rejoice that Jesus was steadfast, resolute to accomplish this top priority, this mission, undeterred by any earthly or any heavenly obstacle. Jesus' mission is to rescue sinners from God's just punishment for sin. That's the, that's the ultimate goal. And, and he goes about uh, fulfilling this mission by particular means. The first way he goes about fulfilling this mission to rescue sinners is by, is by preaching. Jesus reveals, reveals this in, in the only words that he speaks in the text that we're looking at today. He says, let us go to the next towns that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. J.I. Packer, and I just want to, I'm, I'm going to go back to Packer because I want you to understand what preaching is, what it's supposed to be. We hear it week in, week out. What is preaching? I think many of us would struggle to define it. J.I. Packer does not struggle to define what preaching is. J.I. Packer writes that preaching is verbal communication of which the following things are true. J.I. Packer probably didn't have to deal with this mic though when he wrote this. <laughs> verbal communication of which the following things are true. Its content is God's message to man. Verbal communication is with a purpose. It's to inform, persuade, and call for an appropriate response from us to God. And this verbal communication that is preaching has a particular perspective. It's always applicatory, he says. It is life-centered in its focus and life-changing in its thrust. So we're not just talking about any verbal communication. It's, it's a very particular 
verbal communication. And by this definition, definition, Jesus definitely preached. He preached it. He brought God's word to the people in order to persuade them to repent of their sins and believe that in that uh, to believe in his power to save them from sin's punishment. Jesus' preaching was all about changing the lives currently and for eternity of all of his hearers. So Jesus preached in order to accomplish this redemptive purpose in the lives of his hearers and all who would hear this message. The second way Jesus goes about fulfilling the mission is through discipleship. Uh, now we see this, we see discipleship, just the smallest grain of it in those same words of Christ. He says, let us, let us go to, go on to the next towns. Jesus didn't go on this mission alone. He could have an itinerant preacher just going off to the next town. Uh, many of the prophets seem to have done the same. Uh, Jonah seems to have just gone by himself to Nineveh to preach the word that God had given to him. Jesus intentionally and strategically brought along others to, to watch and to learn as he preached, as he healed, as he demonstrated the kingdom of God uh, was at hand. Jesus discipled 12 men very closely and a band of followers more generally. He trained them how to preach the gospel. He, he showed them the gospel. He, he spoke to them the gospel. He trained them how to preach the gospel and he discipled them. He discipled them on discipling others. And they in turn did the same through the church. And the gospel spread throughout the world by way of this, this plan of discipleship of Christ. And we are here experiencing life in Christ as a congregation because of Christ's mission carried out in just this fashion. So why is it vital that we rightly understand Jesus's mission, that he came to save sinners through uh, his sacrificial death and resurrection, that he did this by way of preaching and discipleship as his primary tools for accomplishing this mission? Why is that necessary for us? We need to understand this, Jesus' methods, his mission and his methods, because he's called us to the same mission. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, he told us, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. That's what he spoke to them at the end of Matthew's gospel. We need to understand and embrace and, and love this plan of Christ to redeem sinners because we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us is what Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5. God has ordained that we carry the message of Christ, both as individuals and corporately as a church, to everyone in our lives. And for some of us, that's going to mean becoming pastors, becoming church planters, going on church planting teams. Some of us even being called on a mission for Christ to the ends of the earth. 
Let us go. Let us go on this mission with Christ. Okay, point number two, the mission distortions. Jesus initiated the gospel mission of the new covenant. Then he, he ordained his followers, the church, to carry on that mission on the earth. This is a, a mission with life and death consequences. Uh, actually, eternal life and eternal death consequences. We know that. Yet, even knowing that, even with the new birth that he has given us by way of the Spirit, even with God's declaration of righteousness over us, even with the Spirit in us to carry out Christ's mission on the earth, even with all of these provisions and, and more that we have in Christ, we can still get confused about the mission and, and distracted from the goal and the means that Christ's missions means. This happens because we're still affected by sin. We're still dealing with it. So we will get confused. We will distort the mission ourselves. We will get off track. We will be tempted to leave it off. So we have to cry out to God to strengthen us by the Spirit for the task at hand. Uh, we have to make ourselves aware of the ways that we can get off mission. Mark helps us with this in chapter 1. In these verses and in the preceding verses, he shows us two specific ways that we can distort the mission of Christ. And we see the first distortion of the mission in the people of Capernaum. Um, these people, they, they heard the message of Christ. They recognized the new authority in his teaching. But there's no indication by Mark that the people of Capernaum repented and believed the gospel. Mark does note, however, that they responded enthusiastically to the news that at the synagogue, a, Jesus uh, released a man from demon oppression. They did respond to hearing that Jesus healed Simon Peter's mother-in-law. So at sundown, at the end of the Sabbath, the people of, of Capernaum brought to Jesus it says in verse 31, all who were sick were oppressed by demons. David Garland, uh, a commentator, uh, wrote on this passage and he says, they are looking for him in Capernaum because of the miracles and not because of Jesus' words. Jesus' first priority is that the people would recognize him and trust him as their savior, the savior of their souls, the giver of eternal life. Healing their earthly bodies is a secondary work of Christ that's supposed to highlight their need for eternal life. So like Lynn mentioned last week, those who received his healing touch that day in Capernaum, they later died. But those who place their faith in Jesus will experience forever the joy of being in God's presence, reconciled to him, their sins forgiven. So how about for us? Are we, are we more eager to see people healed than granted eternal life? 
And there's, there's subtle answers to that question. You, you could think it's obvious, but think about this. Are we, are we more devoted to good works, to works of justice and mercy than we are to spreading the, mo- the message of the gospel? Now, all of these things are good. The physical healing is good. The works of justice and mercy are good. They should all accompany the spread of the gospel, but none of these things are the mission of Christ. So that's the first distortion. The second distortion is seen in the disciples themselves. Uh, from the start, there's, there's a conflict uh, between Jesus' goals and methods and the disciples' conception of what's going on. There's a, there's a gap, a very large gap between the two. R.T. France, commenting on this, these verses, writes, Here, for the first time, we meet a recurrent theme of the gospel, that of the difference between Jesus' program and his disciples' expectation. It is not just that he is one step ahead of them. His whole conception of how God's kingship is to be made effective is quite different from theirs. While they would naturally pursue the human policy of taking advantage of popularity and building on success on their home ground, Capernaum was their home, following Jesus will increasingly involve them in having to learn free Israel from Roman oppression. This is what he's after, and he doesn't see how dying for this cause at this point is going to do them any good. Jesus returned the rebuke of Peter with a far greater authority. And you remember this, he says, get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. This is, Rome, this is Mark eight thirty three. So like Simon and like the disciples, we need to keep watch that we don't fall into uh, the first and second things trap that's described by C.S. Lewis. In a book of essays, in, it's called uh, God in the Dar- Dock. Uh, God in the Dock. Lewis wrote, you can't get second things by putting them first. You get second things only by putting first things first. You can't get second things by putting them first. You get second things only by putting first things first. So we can want and work toward all sorts of good things. Enacting righteous laws, doing good works, working for social justice are all excellent, good things. And each one of them can be an expression of genuine faith in our Savior, Jesus Christ. But none of these good things can ever become our primary mission. Jesus has defined the primary mission. Participating in Jesus' mission is the first thing. If we leave this off, if we leave off preaching the redemption, the redemptive work of Christ, if we leave that off, we will lose all of the second things. There will be no righteous laws made, good works, social justice by his church if we're not at work forming his church by way of preaching the gospel, making disciples. Jesus led the disciples in a process of growing in understanding 
and embracing his mission to save sinners. And we're in that same process. So we should be praying, God, help us to learn, help us to embrace, help us to love rightly this mission of Christ as ambassadors of him. And the third point, keeping the mission. Given that we're dealing with our own sinful hearts, uh, we're not only apt to uh, slide into distorted versions of Jesus's mission, uh, we are prone to simply be distracted or desire to leave off the mission altogether. We can easily seek our, our own comfort and ease over the hardship that comes with proclaiming the good news of Christ and making disciples in our, in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, at our schools, and everywhere we're interacting with others. It's nice. We know it's nice to have a healthy income, to live in a, an adequately sized house, to drive a dependable car, and be considered a success in society. But these basically decent desires and, and many more can easily distract us from our ultimate work as followers of Jesus Christ. So how do we, Christ's ambassadors, members of his church, how do we stay on mission, on this mission that he's given to us? First, we need to see that Jesus, I mean that God, I should say, is the source of the mission. Sending us to preach, sending us to make disciples, it's God's plan. This is not your pastor's plan for growing this church and for expanding our influence. This is not our denomination's plan for expansion in the U.S. and across the world and for a seat at the table with other great denominations. This is God's plan to redeem for himself a people, that he would be our God and that we would be his people. Jesus saw clearly that God the Father had commissioned him to save sinners, to preach that message, to make disciples. In John 5, uh, verses 19 through 20, we hear Jesus testify to this when he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does. The Father was calling him to. Later on, in the, the middle of prayer time, Jesus retreats to pray after a private retreat with the disciples is interrupted by 5,000 people wanting to hear Jesus teach all day and then having to feed them miraculously at the end of the night. He prays after that occasion as well. And then most famously, the Lord prays in the Garden of Gethsemane just before facing arrest and torture and crucifixion. These, these all seem to be crossroads for Jesus when he, when he wonders whether the path of suffering and the path of sacrifice is really the right way to go. Remember that he, he was in every way, in every respect, tempted as we are, yet without sin, the writer of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 4. So, so when he was tempted to take the route that seemed easy compared with the true mission that 
God had called him upon, he took the temptation very seriously. And at those moments, Jesus retreated to a private place to be alone to meet with the Father, to confess to the Father his temptation, to hear again the plan that God had made for him, the most impactful mission in the history of mankind. Jesus listened to the voice of his Father rather than to the voice of the people in Capernaum and to the voices of his own disciples. And so must we listen to God's voice if we're going to stay on Jesus' mission. Uh, the worship team can go ahead and begin to assemble again uh, to lead us in praise as we go ahead and wrap this up. Hey, listen, church, we have some exciting stuff happening. Um, I am very excited that we are sending Tim Owens to the Sovereign Grace Pastors College uh, for a year of discipleship, a year of equipping. I love that Tim and Becca and their kids um, are, are going to come out to Pasadena in June or so of 2022 so that Tim can begin his pastoral ministry here at Sovereign Grace Church Pasadena. And the reason why I, I love this so much is that the gospel mission is at the center of Tim and Becca's decision to come out here. This is no small decision for them. They've decided to give up a lucrative career, career for Tim, uh, to forego a, a nice spacious house in Atlanta, to leave both of their families, which are both right nearby, when Tim joins the pastoral team here, it will be for a much smaller salary than he makes right now. It's going to be, when he gets here, a much more expensive city in which to live. So, so why are Tim and Becca willing to trade so much that seems good for so many things that appear to be harder? This is why. Because of the gospel mission. Because of their love for and their dedication to doing the work of Christ and seeing that he redeem sinners from the penalty of sin. Because of their love for you, because of their love for the disciples that we're all going to make together here in Pasadena as we build this church, as we bring in new believers, as we disciple them, as we plant other churches. They're selling everything to invest in Christ's mission. That should be glorious to us. That is the glory of God on display. When you repented of your sin and believed the gospel message, you were instantly united with Christ in his death and his resurrection. He died for your guilt and sin, and you received both his righteousness and eternal life in him. And you were united with Christ in his objective to redeem for himself a people. You became ambassadors of Christ. You became ministers of reconciliation. Just as Jesus said to Simon and his disciples, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, he says to us, go and make disciples. So do you understand the mission we're all at various levels of understanding the gospel, understanding the mission of Christ. We're all growing. So please, let's, let's all throw ourselves into this growth process. Let the gospel of Mark 
the inspired word of God instructs you about Jesus, about the gospel, about the mission that he calls us upon. As we spend the many weeks we're going to spend in this, let him speak to you about these things. Enter in discussions about it with your family, with the people of this church, with your community group. Learn the mission, embrace the mission, fall in love with the mission of God. In your schools, let us go with the word of Christ that redeems sinners.